When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Caleb Zachran, assistant editor of the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Jamila Ahmed about her new novel, Every Rising Sun. Jamila is a writer and lawyer with an interest in medieval Islamic history. While 1001 Nights, the famous collection of Middle Eastern folktales, is told by Shahrazad, Every Rising Sun tells Shahrazad's story. Jamila, thank you for joining me today on the New Books Network. Thanks for having me, Caleb. Very happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, th- th- this was an extremely well-written book. It's, it's very clear that you you spent a lot of time, uh, you know, laboring over every single sentence and and really doing doing a lot of a lot of research to go into it um, as as a work of historical fiction, um, but and even just creative creative fiction too. But I was wondering, you know, before jumping into the book, if you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, so I am a writer. I'm a lawyer, as you said. I um, my by way of like kind of ancestral background, I'm Pakistani American. My parents immigrated from Pakistan in the 80s. Um, I'm Muslim as well. So that was a big part, like that, that identity is a big part of um, the shape the book ultimately takes. Uh, yeah, I'm a lawyer. I went to Harvard for law school, currently practice in a in the entertainment media world, which kind of has a great uh, cohesiveness with being a writer as well. Um, and then I studied medieval Islamic history when I was at college at Barnard. So, you know, was was writing a novel something that you knew that you always wanted to do as this, you know, this being your debut, um, you know, I always find it find it really exciting when someone, you know, writes in addition to having another job. Do they inform each other at all or uh, or was this something that, you you know, you thought of thought of, you know, maybe I should write, you know, a few years ago or something. like that. So I, you know, I think I've been writing little novels since middle school. Like that's always been my first love in a lot of ways is writing. Um, and I started writing Every Rising Sun when I was 17. So, you know, this far predates college and law school and my legal career. Uh, but there is like definitely a, a level of, um, I think, synergy there. The part I'm a litigator, and so part of the reason why I chose litigation is because it is very writing-focused, very research-focused, which are things that I really love um, that bear out in a different way in writing historical fiction, obviously. But I think that's the... Um, kind of through line uh, with my professional career and my writing career. Wow. So that, yeah, it's clear, clearly something that you've been working on for a while. So, you know, what was the main inspiration behind Every Rising Sun? Uh, and if you could just tell listeners, you know, beyond just the, the very short introduction that I gave, just a little bit about uh, what, what the book's about and and why, why uh, you, you decided to write it. I mean, your intro, I think, really captures it. So it is a retelling of the framed story of the Arabian Nights, the story of Shahrazad. And so the original Arabian Nights themselves are, as you said, a collection of folktales, but they're kind of threaded through 
um, with this framed story that's um, Sherazad. She's a daughter of the vizier and she marries the king. And the king, prior to this marriage, has basically discovered that his first wife um, was cheating on him. So she he kills the first wife and then he starts wedding and bedding and beheading a new wife every night. Um, and so at one point, Shahrazad steps in, and both in my book and in the original um, collection of folk tales, um, to try to put a stop to it uh, by starting a story on her wedding night and then cutting it off as the sun rises, leaving the king in suspense to find out what happens next. Um, my story complicates it a little bit. So in my version of events, Shahrazad is the one who discovers that the queen is philandering. She's the one who sort of tells the king what's happening and then it all starts to spiral out of control really dramatically and she sees these girls being killed and she's like oh no i kind of did this um and she also has this like kind of romantic inclination toward the king as well so there's that kind of piece of it as well so she sort of has this gray intentionality around what she's how she's acting um and so that that kind of how the story kicks off and then from there we kind of go all over the Islamic Middle East, we go to Baghdad, to the Caliphate, we go to um, Palestine, to the Crusades, of Sultan Saladin, and Richard the Lionheart. Um, and through it all, Shahrazad is, you know, trying to like both balance this like difficult relationship with the king, trying to grow into her own power as a, as a, as a ruler in her own right, um, navigating complicated relationships with her family. Um, and also just, I think, yeah, just like seeing how much more the world has to hold than what she's had before um so it's kind of this like arc of growth in a lot of ways for her yeah that's a that's a great uh summary uh and, and i think with, with that you know going getting into a little bit of better about the style of the book are, are there any uh literary influences that you feel uh you were really looking towards as as models or people or you know books that you were reading that you thought i really want to borrow from that or capture something in this novel so i mean i think obviously the original arabian nights was like a big uh, this touchstone of inspiration, right? I love, like, if you read them, they have all this, like, really rich, lush detail that you kind of don't think about in the sort of flattened conception of what history is or even what Islamic history is. And so a lot of that I wanted to kind of bake in. Um, and it's hard to say, like, kind of other literary influences. There's just so many. And, you know, this is, this covers about, like, you know, 15 years of my, like, reading life. And so, so much of, so much of everything kind of pours in, you know, that I, there's books that I read that did really rich descriptions of food. And I was, oh, I want to do that. Rich descriptions of clothing. I was like, I want to do that. Oh, I love the way the dialogue flows in this. Let me like kind of draw inspiration from that. Oh, I love the interiority of the characters from this book. I'm going to draw inspiration from that. So it's hard to like pin, you know, kind of like what um, threads through because there's little pieces of everything that I've read. That I think that I love to have sort of like threaded through um, the book overall. Are there are there any you know contemporary authors or, or books that you've read recently that you liked a lot? Maybe not recently, but that you were reading uh, during during this process that you would like to you know signal out that if if uh, if listeners all you know also might find interesting to to read. Yeah, I mean, I think so. The Moors account by Leila Lalami is great, and again, it's sort of like in in the similar world historical fiction um, involved like mainstream Muslim characters in the pre modern era. Um, and I think there's just like so few books that kind of are in this world. I think Nagid Mefouz's um Palace Walk, like the Cairo trilogy is fantastic for that as well. Um and that so I think like 
if you're sort of interested in the world of Every Rising Sun, there's other kind of, there's a few other books, I think, that um, also uh, kind of explore this type of world. And, you know, 15 years is such a long time. So I imagine, you know, this went through many different iterations. I was wondering if you'd just tell us a little bit about your your process. You know, what was your research and, and writing like for this book? Yeah, I mean, the research process, I think, obviously developed over time, right, as I kind of grew up. Uh, but I, I had was really blessed to have really great library access, so both at Columbia and at Harvard, just a really rich trove of text. And then also at the same time, I think, weirdly enough, a lot of scholarship in the Seljuk era was being done in the last like 10, 15 years. And so books came out in the last like five years that were not out when I first started writing the book. And so, um, you know, I relied a lot on uh, like chronicles from that era or like a little bit right after that era, right? So, you know, medieval chronicles essentially by Arab and Persian writers, um, but then also like, you know, secondary sources as well from uh, the 20th century, 21st century. And then you know, a lot of the feel of the book is, you know, literary. So, you know, reading kind of poetry um, from that era as well. Um, reading cookbooks to find like what went into the food back then um, and like kind of adapting that into um, the book as well or going to museums and engaging with the material culture, right? So the pottery and the clothing and um, getting a sense of what all that looked like, what that might have felt like and just steeping that into the book. Did you go about it in a, in a particular way, or you know, was it sort of uh, you, you know day by day? You took you took a different reading. You know, some writers you know stick to a, a you know very concrete schedule where they wake up at six and they write from seven to ten, and that's all they do. Uh, you know, others they write when they're inspired, and you know they might go through periods of time when you know w- without much inspiration. Did you are are you more of a a person that follows a schedule, or you kind of just write when you when you feel the inspiration too? Um, it's definitely the latter. I think particularly having like college, law school, and then being an associate at a law firm, right? Like that doesn't really leave a lot of time to like really firmly schedule out what writing looks like. So it just has to be, um, you just have to be really flexible, right? And I think me, unfortunately, I wish, I'm so jealous of regimented writers who are like, I'm going to write everything from six to nine. I'm like, God bless you. Like, couldn't be me. Like, I think I have to be more kind of inspired. Unfortunately, I think it's a it's, a, it's an annoying way to have to write, um, which is part of why it took so long to write. Like just fits and spurts of inspiration, they don't come every day. Um, and yeah, so it's definitely more just kind of like when I have the chance, I feel inspired, write it out. And then there would be times I wouldn't touch the book for like nine months. Like you know, almost a year would go by, and then I'd be like, you know what, I want to write. And then I would like get to the last page that I've written, and I'd be like, actually, I don't remember any of this. I need to like read everything again, be like, what have I written? And then start. Um, so I do not recommend that way of writing to anybody. It's so dumb. You know, I, I want to ask about the the main character for the book, Scheherazade. Uh, and just how did you go about reimagining Scheherazade? A- a- and, you know, for the listeners, what type of character is she? How do, how do you uh, think of her as a character? So, I mean, I think what I kind of wanted for her as a character is, like, you know, she comes off initially She's doing this thing that seems very brave on its face, right? She's marrying this king who has a history of like murdering girls. Um, and it's like throwing herself into the lion's mouth to do so. Um, and she has some good intentions, but she also has some like not so good and in- not I would say not so good intentions, but also some self-interested intentions as well, right? She's not just like a sacrificial lamb. There's also something she's like trying to gain here. And I think that's like 
I wanted to create a complex, nuanced character in that way, right? Like somebody who does do good things, but also sometimes does do dumb things or selfish things. And like they all coexist um, within one person, right? I think that's like a very realistic portrayal of what a human being is, right? Like we contain good, we contain neutral, we contain bad. Um, And so I wanted her to be like a complex character in that way. I also wanted her to be a character where like she does make mistakes um sometimes she knows better she still makes that mistake and then she has to like figure it out from that mistake too right and the funny thing is you know i read reviews online on like goodreads or whatever and a lot of people are very frustrated by that by her they're just like why is she like this this is so annoying she's so annoying and i'm just like i can't even think like i wonder if uh, someone that comes from like either like a lack of self-awareness that people have or just like a thing that they don't like about themselves because i feel that's so incredibly human right like we always I don't know about you. I always do stuff that I'm like, oh, after I de- did it, I'm like, I knew better. Why would I do that? Right. Like, um, and so I think it's like a frustrating quality in a person, but I also do think it's a very real quality. And so I think it's all to say, like, I wanted to take this like very fantastical character and like ground her in the frailties of being a teenager, essentially. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the at the start, she's she's 10 years old. Uh, you know, it, I, I think you had that line, you know, that 10 years old and she's and she's already having, you know, pretensions towards towards being a, a fully, fully grown woman. And just, you know, that that period of, of life when you're so young and and, you know, trying to to be an adult or, or you know, on the cusp of being an adult, you know, it's definitely it's an interesting thing to capture. And it's also interesting that writing about someone who's a teenager but and and you started it as a teenager too uh you know and h- how the character might have evolved over time when you first started writing it like how, how did the character look when you first started versus you know now you know looking back later what, what did she change yeah. a lot in certain ways or or are there still similarities so i think early shahrazad is pretty much as i wrote her when i was 17 and i feel like that gives her a certain like ring of authenticity right it's like a 17 year old's portrayal of a 17 year old so like you can't really get more like method acting than that, right? Like it's just it is what it is. Um, and then I think as the character grows over time, that kind of charts my growth too. Uh, where she kind of does develop more nuanced views on, let's say, like, why would why would a seemingly beloved wife like cheat on her husband? Like she develops nuanced views with like the social con- conditions that like might have generated that. Or um, instead of feeling this like instinctive knee jerk sympathy for the man acting out, she question she questions that she questions why like um, society like is built around allowing this kind of behavior in a lot of ways, or even like kind of looking away from it but not really condemning it directly. Um, and so she kind of comes into a place where she's questioning a lot of things that she just simply accepted. Um, and a lot of that again is like my personal growth, um, going from like a teenager to like my early to mid twenties. And then now later, I'm much, I'm past that now, but you know, like particular, I think that growth in particular right. is like, um, keyed in. Yeah, no, and it's, it's really interesting to capture that. And, and I think like, it's very, it's very cool in a way that you, because it, you spent such time writing it that you're able to, to sort of, you know, have, have been cognizant of that period of like, it must've been interesting for you capturing it in a way like, you know, being, being at different ages, writing the book and seeing just that of that evolution in yourself and now you have this sort of document in a way that other yeah. people you know mo- most people don't ha- have a document captured like this that charts their own development and growth in that same way uh, that yeah, you have with this book it's kind of crazy and it's also just like i was like damn i can't believe i thought this was okay you know like because initially like shahrazad's reaction of like oh 
the queen like deserved to die. And that was like my genuine reaction. I was like 17 writing that book initially. I was like, yeah, yeah. Why would she do that? Dumb. She deserves to die. And then like, you know, it's like, okay, I kind of, you grow up and you see like people make mistakes. People are products of their circumstances, their society, and people sometimes react, you know, um, irrationally maybe, or not even in their best way, but like that's part of being human and you have to have grace for that. Um, and I think that kind of came with time for me. Right. You know, for, for you, what would you say is the most, was the most difficult part when it came to writing the book? You know, the part that either, yeah. Just the act of writing it. Right. Honestly. Um, you know, like like we're talking about, like, it's like, you're either regimented or it's inspirational. Sometimes inspiration doesn't come and you're just like, I want to write this, but I just like, don't know where to take this. Um, and so I think just like the act of writing was like really, like once you like getting that started, then once you're in the flow, you're in the flow. But sometimes you're just like blocked, and it is what it is. So your writer's block is hella real. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I want to pick up back up on something that you're saying before. Just you know, the the frust, you know, maybe the frustration that some people are having with a character's not neatly fitting into this good versus bad uh, dichotomy, and you know, obviously you wanting to create characters that are three dimensional. Why is it that you think people have such a difficulty with that? Like, I, I find it personally, like, I don't understand why people wouldn't want three-dimensional characters that have struggled to make decisions and make decisions that are, compl- you know, for complicated reasons. Like, you know, do you think that, the, why do you think that is? And, and why do you think, uh, you know, literature needs these complex characters? No, I think the funny thing is, I think that people would also react badly if she was a kind of just like a goody two shoes Mary Sue character, right? Like people don't like that either. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with just like what a character reflects back to that person in some ways. And I think sometimes like if you see some of your own flaws reflected back, the frustration that you're expressing with the character is sometimes a frustration that you express with yourself. Um, And I think that's fine. But I also do think, right, like flawed characters that are kind of they're sometimes smart sometimes dumb like i think that's like very i think it's important that's what makes an interesting character i think i think that's like an authentic reflection of what people are like in the real world right like no one makes 100 percent the right calls always i think very few people make 100 percent the wrong calls always right and i think oftentimes people know better than the calls that they make or sometimes people make the wrong calls with the right information they just make the wrong judgment call right and i think that's that's where like a lot of interesting plot flows from, right? In real life and in books. And I think that um a character needs to have some that like kind of push and pull, that like dynamic within themselves, or some sort of like push and pull dynamic to like kind of propel them forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's yeah, yeah that it's especially when when it's about when it's so much about one care, you know, character, it's great to have that because it really does make the story so much more dynamic and interesting yeah uh, and i also think like there is something to like people have a more difficult time with flawed women right like i think men have the grace of being flawed like there's so much sympathy for the king who executed a bunch of ladies they're like well he was such a great character he was like john so well but oh she was always so annoying and i was like that's like kind of the the point of the book in a lot of ways right the grace we give men and the lack of grace we give women um and listen, i like I'm so appreciative of everybody who reads and I'm not like meaning to be like shady about any of it. Like it's just something that I've noticed that I found very interesting. Um, and I think it's reflective of the fact that like the dynamics that I think sometimes we think like, oh, we're so much more evolved than people's like 
a thousand years ago. But I think quite truly, like a lot of those limitations are just like really like in the lizard brain. And I think it's worthwhile to interrogate like why we have such sympathy for flaw- genuinely flawed male characters who I love. I love, I, I do love the the king. Like he sucks, but I love him. And Sherazad can also suck, but I love her too, right? And I think like they can all exist at the same time. Well, I'm wondering what the editorial process was like for you. Did you have a draft that you then spent a lot of time going back over? Uh, you know, did you work with with anyone that that was like a trusted confidant that you could, you know, really trust them to tell you, oh, I don't like this sentence, or oh, you should you should work here, or or was it more so of a personal process for you? I mean, I think prior to like getting an agent, it was like personal. You know, I did send it out to like a few of my like friends or some family members to like give it a read. Um, and, you know, people had some thoughts. It was not like com- definitely not like line by line comprehensive. Um, I did when I was like kind of querying it out because I didn't know anybody. Like I'm not like in the publishing world, the writing world. I'm just like a dude. Um, and so I like just like sent it out to like agents. And I remember one agent was like, I'm really interested, but this book is too long. Like it was like 160,000 worth at that point, and now it's 120 um, or so. And so I kind of spent like this was like COVID summers, so the first COVID summer. So I spent like that summer like just like cutting it down. Um, and then yeah, I went through a few iterations with my current agent as well of the book. And then obviously there's an editorial process once um, it was purchased uh, with my UK and US editors. But really prior to sort of it entering the stream of like actually being in um the hands of like publishing professionals it was pretty much a solo process for me you have this book out you know do you are you ready to to take the plunge again and and try and uh write another novel or do you feel like you want to take a breather i mean i think i took my breather um and actually i tried writing stuff a little bit earlier um before the book came out and i felt like i was still very much stuck in that voice with that every rising sun voice and nothing like felt different authentic i wasn't like i don't know it wasn't right uh, but in the last like few weeks, I've started working on something new and it's like so far so good. Um, and you know, I am trying to be more regimented this time around and like a little bit more disciplined about writing it. Uh, and I'm excited about it, but we'll see what, we'll see what it comes to. But, um, you know, I, it's something that I'm excited about, which is like a nice feeling to have. It's also intimidating, I think, to start a new book after I've been working on this last book for 15 years or so, like that, it was just. You know, like that in some ways, like I felt so comfortable in the ever rising sun world. Like I lived it. I knew I knew what all of the buildings looked like. I knew what like kind of the historical paradigm of the day was. And I was just able to like write. And then now it's like re- it's like kind of doing that. It's a historical again. So it's like re- doing all that research and like building that world out and like getting a sense of the characters like meeting all these characters and developing them out. So it's kind of intimidating, kind of scary, but like I'm also having fun. And so far, so good, I think. Yeah, I, I think with um with historical fiction in particular, you know, uh, sometimes it's a mix of, of a fascination with the time period. Um, and other times it's it's useful to, to go into the past and, and use it as a way to, you know, shine a mirror on the present. Um, you know, were, were you, did you find yourself, uh, you know, trying to make commentary at all on the present or was, was this more so a, you know, we could say like a love letter to, to the past? Um, it is a love letter to the past, but it's also a hate letter to the present. Like, I think, a, you know, I think a, a big part of the book, right? Like, I started writing this um, when we were in the thick of the war in Afghanistan and Iraq, right? And there was a lot of propaganda about, like, what Muslims are, what Muslim women are. Like, you know, Islam is barbaric. Islamic history is rubble. 
Muslim women are oppressed, have always been oppressed, will always be oppressed. They need to be liberated. Like, and so then in that way, this book, I think, was I'm designed it to be more of like a mirror looking back to be like, actually, um, you know, this is like a propagandist paradigm that's being like bandied about in the service of empire. Um, and it's not accurate. And, you know, and so, yeah, there was definitely like a political project behind this book as well. Um, not simply the past. And I, and I think in a lot of ways, the past is, you know, history is written by the winners, quote unquote. And then um, we also are served up history as a political means as well often. And I remember in t- 10th grade, um, my world history teacher told us that the only thing we need to know about Islam is that it was spread by the sword. The end. Um, and so in a lot of ways, this book is like a direct response to that bullshit where it's like you can't just flatten a whole religion and, you know, myriad societies and then metaphorically and then go and flatten them literally with bombs and think that and then try and like excuse your actions by saying, oh, well, there's nothing there to begin with. Yeah. No mention of the numbers that we use in everyday life. Yeah. From uh you know, coming from in the Islamic uh, golden so period, much, right? Like yeah. algebra, um, you know, came from Islamic society. Like all of the Roman and Greek philosophy that's been preserved was preserved by Arabs, right? And um, I don't. I mean, like we are a we are a densely interconnected world, right? Like every society has contributed to like where we are today. Um, and to assume that like some religions, some societies off- have offered nothing is just like the height of hubris and ignorance. And so, yeah, this book was sort of like a soft education in some ways, right? I wouldn't be able to read this book and like come out of it questioning maybe what they've been told about Islam, about Muslims, about Muslim women. Um, and maybe interested, like, hey, like there is more, there's a lot, there's a lot in this, um, in this tradition as well that's like worth exploring and reading about. I uh, this is this thing I, I don't normally ask, but because I feel like sometimes it's not necessarily the author's uh, decision. But you know, I'm just curious about the the image on, on the book cover. Um, you know, it's a it is a really beautiful cover, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the image that was used. You know, were you involved in the selection of that, and and just you know why uh, why this this particular painting? So, um, not the particular image, but I actually worked really closely with my publishers, and they were like very humoring of me, which God bless them. Um, in like kind of developing the cover, and so I sent them this like whole mood board of. Um, you know, Islamic paintings and like architecture and calligraphy. And I was like, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Um, and so they ended up, you know, there was a few iterations that we went through before we kind of hit on this one, um, which I think is really lovely. And I think, you know, we have like the, we have these like really gorgeous kind of floral miniature designs, right? And then this like girl in the front, this like figure in the front who is um, drawn from Persian art, like um, a little bit later, not like the era of the book. The book is set in 1191. This looks like it's about in the 16th century or so. Uh, but I think it's like, you know, it's like very like evocative of that world of that era. Um, and I, yeah, I'm like very much in love with this cover and I'm really glad that's where we ended up. And it was super fun working with um, my publishing house kind, kind of like trying to um, figure out a way to like kind of authentically, I think, portray. Again, I think for the authenticity of the book too, it's like, I want to put out there this like very Islamic art inspired cover like in bookstores and like it's like kind of it's a window into what this book offers right this book offers um a just like kind of a crash course I guess into like Islamic history and it's like 
a, a piece of that history is the gorgeous like figural art that exists. My last question for you is just if there's any advice that you would give to other people out there, you know, that are looking to publish their debut novel. Obviously, so much of it depends on the quality uh, of the book itself. And there are many people out there that try and publish that maybe the, the book is not is not quite up to stuff. But, you know, what, what is there is there any any piece of advice, something that you didn't know that you learned along the way that you would tell someone that's looking to uh, to get published? So actually, as you said, that reminds me, you asked me earlier, like, oh, did anybody like look at this? And my bad, I completely forgot that I workshopped this book twice. Uh, I workshopped it once at Harvard and I workshopped it again in New York when I was working. And I think that, you know, genuinely, like the workshops help so much, like it just like elevates your craft. Like, I think I was initially writing this book as just like, I'm writing and like not really kind of thinking about it at that sentence level or thinking about like, how do I construct this in a more sophisticated way and a more literary way? And I think the workshops really just like pushed you up. And then you also see how talented people are around you. Like Jenny, that was like what I came back with. It's like you see published books and some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. And you're like, and then you're like, okay, yeah, but they're published. Like it is what it is. And you see all these like incredibly talented writers, like who are your peers in this like unpublished realm. And it like forces you to step your game up. You're like, okay, like, there are a lot of talented people out here um, and you just kind of had to keep pushing through um, and honing. And I also just think honestly, finishing the book is like step one in a lot of ways, right? Like, um, like I think finishing is the hardest part. I think once you finish, you can always go back and like improve and like tweak and, you know, edit, edit the crap out of your manuscript. Um and I don't know, like for me, a big kind of byword was like, am I bored as I read this? Right. And so I don't know how your experience was, Caleb. I hope you enjoyed reading it. But like, yeah, it's very well written. I thought it was kind yeah. of, I mean, I was like, where, where can I, like, you know, I, we're talking like big picture, like, oh, here's what I'm trying to convey about history and about politics. But kind of at bottom, what I really wanted to do was like have a story that was like fun to read, that you can miss all the other stuff that's happening. And you're just like following along. because It's like, you know, full of excitement and drama. Um, and so, you know, I think that's like kind of helpful too, which is like, as you're writing, but like as a reader, like, are you interested in what you're writing? Like, would you want to keep reading if it wasn't your own writing? And his historical fiction can be very hard with that. Sometimes historical fiction, it comes off, it's, you know, it's sort of detail heavy where the author feels like they're trying to show, oh, look, look, I'm, you know, I'm like a historian of this age. I know this age versus, you know, letting the story speak for itself. And then having those details fit in. And I also, you know, and I think also, you know, in addition to that, you also, there's a lot of great lines that, you know, that, that really, really stick out. You know, it's very clear that, clear that, you know, the fact that you spent 15 years, it's clear that you spent 15 years working on this book. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think if, you know, if people want to, are, are looking for, you know, for, for that sort of thing where it's, it's you know, someone, you know, acad I spend most of the time I spend interviewing academics about the nonfiction books and, you know, they'll spend five to 10 years writing their books, uh, you know, and in 15 years, you know, that that's, you know, that, that's just a ridiculous amount of time to, to spend. I, I know you said you, you took some breaks in between, but, you know, it just is, it, it, it really, uh, really does come through that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, a, a bit of a lifetime uh, of, of yeah. work in this. Yeah, no, for uh, sure. Well, Jamila, thank you so much for being a guest on the New Books Network. It was great to speak to you about Every Rising Sun. Uh, thank you, you too. Thank you for having me, Caleb. This was a great conversation.